Think to Win podcast with Sam Lucy. I am Burke O'Day here with Sam Lucy. Uh, hi Burke, how are you today? I'm I'm doing well, Sam. How are you? Good. So you're going to ask me some questions, right? Yeah, today I'm see I if was, I can answer them. Yep, definitely. Today, uh, me and the other the other guy here in the room, Arthur, were talking yesterday, and he had mentioned that you have a way of solving all problems. Could you tell me a little bit about that? I have a way of solving all problems. That, yep. Is that what Art said? Mm-hmm. Well, I should say Art should know, but, uh, well, I found a way. It's, it's not my way. I found a way to solve all problems because I found out where all problems come from. And uh, it's actually rather, uh, it's more than interesting. It's right under, it's been right under our nose since, since the beginning of humanity. But, you know, I, I spent a long time unraveling it and figuring it out. See, the only problem we have in the world comes from opinions that our system made up, buried inside us, without our participation, without our permission, okay, and they stay inside us, pull our strings, make us do what we do, give us the things we don't want, prevent us from getting the things that we do want. So if you when, if you can validate that, and you have to, I'm, I'm telling you this, but you have, you have to think it through and validate it for yourself. Once you come to that realization, then that's really what you have to focus on uh, that has to become your main focus, like it did mine. Mm-hmm. And because anything else you do is a waste of time. Yeah. For instance, I've seen college kids who have a degree and can't find a job. They want to go back and get more education. The same people they graduated with, they're doing fine. <laughs> From the same schools with lower grades, maybe, doing fine. See, it's the opinions that the... Uh, the one student has is holding them back, and the opinions that the other student didn't have allowed them to move forward. That's a, that's a simple example, but it, that goes on in every facet of your life. So as far as problems, I will say to myself and to anyone who wants to listen to me, the only problem I have ever had in my life is some silly opinion that I made up and worshipped. And as I get rid of those silly opinions, and, and one by one get rid of them, I see my stock in life go up on every on every level. Hmm. How, how do you think that you know that way of solving problems could be applied to the world today? How do I think it could be applied? Yeah. Could I offer this suggestion? If somebody doesn't start applying it on a mass scale, there's no there's no future to this planet because we are on collision courses to just about everything I can think of. We. Uh, we're going back to, to our understanding of things in the Middle Ages. We're actually going that far backward that fast. Uh, I understand how we could get there. I don't want to blame anybody. But if people don't start thinking and stop letting everyone in the world gaslight them, it's all over. And I, I will say that uh, the B-code and breakout is coming on the scene at the right time to solve that problem. Uh, it's coming at the right time. See, the, the, the people's opinions have always ruled them, but what's happened today with social media, it started with radio, and then TV advanced it, and then now the internet advanced it, but then social media has, has this problem on steroids. People do not know the difference between a fact and their opinion. They worship their opinions and ignore the facts. And when somebody talks to them about their opinions, they say, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right. They're shooting themselves in the foot, destroying their own well-being, and don't know any better. Well, can't blame them if they don't know any better. But after the, uh, we start to spread the B-code and break out, then they'll have a chance to know better. 
And it will, it will turn the tide in time. Hmm. I think you asked me why I want to do this. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You didn't ask me that, but I'm telling you, that's why I want to do this. Yeah. So, Sam, you started in the public education field, is that right? That's right. I graduated from college with a Bachelor of Science in Education and took a job uh, in, a, in the public schools, 1969, and fall of 1969. Actually, I was working in the same school system that I graduated from. Hmm. I uh, had a degree in secondary education, with, which meant 7 through 12, they only had an opening at that time in grade six, so they gave me what they called a, an emergency certificate, and I was allowed to teach that that course for two years. By that time, uh, the secondary opened up, and then I moved from, uh, I never don't think I ever did teach seventh grade, but then I moved to eight, nine, eight through 12. How do you think that, you know, your experience as a teacher sort of translated into you know, business or how did it, how did it transfer into business? Yeah, you know, how did it your whatever you learned in the public education field sort of transfer into you know after you left there and what you're doing now? Uh, what I learned in education uh, did nothing to teach me uh, one single thing about business. Uh, you asked me how did I if you asked me how I got there starvation mm-hmm. teachers uh, uh, back then. In 1969, the wages were starvation. They were they were about the same as minimum wage, probably, maybe a little better. Uh, so I had to have a, two jobs. One wouldn't do it. My second job was what I was used to. How I worked my way through college, and then I just kept going with that second job, which was uh, basically reno- uh, residential renovation, kitchens and baths for the most part, building homes, things like that. And uh, I started my own business. In 72, to supplement teaching. Prior to that, I worked for my employer that I worked for going to college. And then, you know, I'll never forget my dad told me when I went into business in 72, he said, you know, you're going to have to make a decision someday. So what are you talking about? He said, well, you'll have to make a decision between whether you're going to keep with this business or you're you're going to quit. I said, why? He said, a business either grows or dies. And you'll have to make that decision. And, I, and I, lo and behold, I did. In 1976, four years later, I made a decision. Why did I go with the business? Money. I needed. I wasn't going to starve and be a school teacher. Yeah. I always loved teaching. Ironically, as an adult, <laughs> owning a business, I got back into the teaching business right away, trying to teach my salespeople to sell. So I, I think my number one love in life was teaching. I, well, I know it is my number one life. Love in life was teaching and helping people learn and do better. Uh, business was a vehicle that I used. Best so, way I can tell you. So then maybe that love of teaching and of wanting to, you know, help others sort of help themselves has, you know, really translated into what we're doing with... That's it, exactly. It, it's, uh, it's come full circle for me. Yeah. You know, at my age today, I don't, I don't want to be... I own three businesses and I don't really want to manage or or function in any of them. All I want to do is teach and train, train trainers, teach people what I learned. That's really all I want to do. And that's all I'm going to do going forward, by the way. Yeah. So how did you sort of, you know, come to the realization of, you know, I need to start thinking more and reacting less? Oh, I, I didn't, 
I never came to that realization. I will credit my business partner and best friend, uh, Frank Witoski, for that. He put, he put words to it. I mean, I didn't know what, I knew, I knew what I was doing, but I couldn't describe it or put words to it. He's the one that came up with the, with the term, think more, react less. And, and when he said it, I felt it and I knew that's, that's what I've been trying to say. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I credit him with, with uh, actually giving it a name and, and putting the concept, a name to the concept. I knew the concept, but I didn't have the name. How long did you know the concept before you had the name? I'm almost embarrassed to say, but probably 20 years. <laughs> yeah. Probably 20 years. And then... 15 anyway. Yeah. And then, you know, what sort of like changes did you see in your life or in your career once you started, you know, implementing that into every day? Well, I, I began to make changes and saw improvement, uh, you know, uh, almost 40 years ago, 35, 40 years ago. And then I, I made some major changes. I didn't know what happened. I knew what, what I was doing and I knew I was improving, but I, I, I didn't know. I had to live this to learn it, which I did. Um, other people would not have to live this to learn it. They could just take what I learned and give it to them. They can use it. Yeah. But I wanted this answer, and I dedicated my life to get it, and it was an obsession. I, you know, I, wrote, I read a book one time. It talked about magnificent obsessions. Well, I'm going to call this a magnificent obsession, not that I'm a magnificent guy. I don't want to make, say that at all. But I asked—I see, I read a book many, many years ago, uh, and it was called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. And uh, it was actually on audio tape too. So I, I listened to it and I read it and I became fascinated with it because in the book Napoleon Hill talks about, he said, whatever the mind can conceive and believe it can achieve. And when I heard it, when I finally made that connection, I knew it was real. So I said, well, I, let's just go make it work. Well, then I, I knew it was real, but I couldn't make it work. Yeah. And that really bothered me even more and intrigued me even more because I knew it was right and the problem was me. It wasn't what with Napoleon Hill. He didn't write something incorrect. It was true. I was the problem. So then that's when I really jumped in with everything I had to figure out why. Napoleon Hill said, and I, I, I have listened to or read everything I could get my hands on with the guy. I never met him. I, mean, I never met him, but I met him through his teachings, you know. And he said, I can't understand why people didn't use the formula. Because he actually even gave you a formula. He gave you a formula that didn't work. And I know why it didn't work. And he said, there's no way to explain man's indifference to himself. That's what he said as he was in his waning years and dying, you know. Well, I, I know why man is indifferent to himself. Not because he wants to be, you know, because he can't be anything but because he doesn't have the tools and the knowledge that I uncover. So that's, you know, I think I've always wanted to know this from when I was even a little kid. I think so. I think my whole life, that's why I went into teaching. At one time I was very religious. I'm not religious anymore. I'm very spiritual, but not religious. You know, I always, I went into politics. I was, I was a public official, a local public official, you know, and uh, everything that I ever did in my life was to try to help people live better. I was in a real nice suburban township you know, it wasn't, not rural, not a city, but suburban, beautiful place, you know, and I was just a little kid, it was just a farming community, and it grew into a beautiful township, but it was falling apart. Political factions were fighting, and I went in, and I, I had probably one of the roughest elections in the history of Pennsylvania, 
if you look under my, if you look up under Pennsylvania election history, you'll see my name with my opponent. There was election fraud committed. I had to run three times, oh three times to win. I, I got elected. They nullified the election. I had a special election. I lost. I had. I went to the uh, general election with the opposite party. Okay, and won. Okay, with 24 votes. I mean, I, for a whole year, I had to kill myself to get elected. Well, what happened when I got elected? I did the truthful thing. The country was, the township was falling apart. The roads were ready to go back to dirt. You know, the, the employees, the township employees weren't, weren't doing anything, didn't have any equipment. It was being run like a goof plate, goofy place. So there was three of us that ran the township at that time. And when I got on, they got the majority. The other fellow and my, myself was a very, very intelligent man who, he worked for Sears and he, he was, you know, head of like seven or eight states for their uh, service department. Very, very smart guy, very honest guy. And he and I got together and, you know, we opened up the budget, we raised taxes, we put a two or three million dollar road program together and the township was saved and today it's a beautiful place. We also broke that stalemate between the political parties. Uh, myself and some other people that were opposite of us. So that's, that's all I ever did when I helped people, you know. Uh, I don't know why, but that's what I, I guess, I think it was because of my mother. You know, my mother grew up very poor in Avella, Pennsylvania, coal mining, very poor. She said she'd go to school, people make fun of her with her clothes and everything. And I think from that, I got the feeling that, geez, I'd like to help people not have to live that way. So I think that's where it came from, you know. And I've been that way all my life, so... I guess teaching has always been what I really wanted to do. But teaching falls on deaf ears without the Vika and breakup. And you're just, you're just wasting your time. I wasted my time in, in secondary education. I, I'll never forget, I'm teaching a course called Marriage and Family Living. Part of that course was birth control, you know, sex education, birth control. Well, you know, I'm not an, an expert on birth control, but hell, you can, there was four or five things you could do to prevent pregnancy, and don't you know, one of my students gets pregnant. <laughs> I'm teaching the class, and she gets pregnant. She's one of the best friends of my sister, oh, who was the same age, and, you know, and I'm thinking, what the hell am I teaching this? You know, are you that stupid that you didn't take what I taught you, and you end up getting pregnant in 11th grade, I think it was, or whatever? Oh, so, you know, and I would teach kids, try to teach them facts, but they weren't really interested in them at that time. I mean, poetry. When I was in 11th, 12th grade, you know, I, I was studying poetry. What on earth did I care about poetry in 11th? Or 12th? I was interested in cars, girls, and stuff like that in 11th and 12th grade. Making some money, going on a date. Uh, you know, when I look back now, the, the beautiful poetry and the, and the stories and the concepts that are in it, it all went over my head. Education is, this doesn't understand, you know. For instance, I had kids... I had I taught sixth grade. I had this little kid. His name was Robert De Janeiro. He I I say his name. I don't know what happened to Robert, but he was one of the sweetest little guys you ever met in your life. But he wouldn't sit still. He was always out of his seat. He'd make jokes and interrupt the class. And I could never get, even get mad at him. I never got mad at Robert. I mean, he was entertaining me. You know, if somebody else, other kid did it, I'd have come down on him. But. You know, I didn't know that. And then I find out later when I understand the difference in people, he was a high eye. He was an influencing person. He was influencing me. I don't know whatever happened to him. I hope he did well.
mm-hmm. you know. But the schools, they want to take everybody and put them cookie cutter and put them in there, you know, and you're teaching the wrong things at the wrong time. I don't know what's going on there now because yeah. I've been out of it since 1976. It seems to me now they're not teaching much of anything that's relevant. It seems to me. My uh, stepdaughter graduated from Robert Morris, so I took her and her boyfriend out for a little party at the end of the ceremony, and we were sitting in a restaurant, and I said, okay, uh, so what'd you learn? Her boyfriend looked at me, and he went, he smiled, and he said, nothing. He actually said that. Nothing. Then, I don't know if you remember the, the mortgage crisis. He went into selling mortgages and, you know, made about $300,000 a year selling fraudulent mortgages. Oh, man. You know, I don't know whatever happened to him. It was a boyfriend she had. He's gone. But, I mean, you know, how do we get so far in a ditch? You know how we get this far in a ditch? We don't think. We we haven't. Thinking is like a dying art. What separates a human from any other mammal, even other form of animal, is your ability to think. We have the only, as far as we know, in this universe, certainly in our understanding of this world that we live in, nothing in the universe can, has critical thinking but a human. Now, if you don't use it, then you're no different than, than a rabbit or a bird or fox or whatever. You know, And critical thinking, it's, it's gone. People don't want to think. They want to be told. I saw a great movie many, many years ago. It's called American Gigolo. And this woman came home from work, very wealthy house, beautiful house, it was a very successful family. And her husband was in bed with his, with his secretary. And I'll never forget the secretary said, hi, Mrs. Bloom, okay? So her husband looked up and he said, now dear, are you gonna believe what you see or are you gonna believe what I tell you? Well, the next scene, she was out on the street, they had separated, divorced, right? Very, pretty easy, right? Are you going to believe what you see or are you going to believe what I tell you? Do you know today that's reversed? People believe what they're told, not what they see. Mm-hmm. They see the facts, and if somebody, if their opinion says that fact is not right and somebody tells them in authority, that they, they will agree with it and completely ignore what they see. I never thought it would ever come to this, but it has. It really has, you know. Uh, people who have unscrupulous... Uh, uh, motives, people that have no conscience, people that want to take advantage of other people know how to do that, and they have done a brilliant job of it. All over the world, not just here, but all over the world. Yeah. And uh, you can't do that to, a, to someone who can think. And of course, our, when I look at our country and I look at our, uh, you know, I know where I started out. I was, I was, we were a working poor family, okay, but I had... I had opportunity. I could go to school. You know, I went to school. I learned. I went to college. First one in my family to go to college. I studied. I learned. I got a job teaching. I got a second job. You know, I went into business and I had I had opportunity. You know, so I, I could make something. Well, why would I do that? Because I lived in the United States of America and we had two institutions that made that possible. One of them was capitalism and one of them was democracy. Both are threatened today. Both of them are so threatened today, and the average person doesn't even have a clue. And I hope that uh, and that before we lose either one of those two, people wake up yeah. and stop, you know, look at what you see, not what somebody's telling you. And uh, the, anyway, that's, that's what I, that, that was my motivation. So what's my motivation from here on out? Uh, capitalism and democracy. I'm a capitalist with a conscience. Socialism is a dead-end, stupid street. 
You can't make people who are poor whole by giving them reparation payments or continue to give them uh, welfare payments and pay them more money when they have more children and uh, you know give them give them stipends to keep them keep their mouths shut so that they won't cause trouble that's what we do they say to poor people oh it costs too much money to try to elevate them it's easier and cheaper just to give them the money and let you know that's not a that, that's an opinion that's not a fact you know uh, our whole system is, is is just wrong it's corrupt you know i'm a capitalist with a conscience give a person an opportunity you know, give them an opportunity, give them a fair, equal opportunity. Well, our democracy is, that's the other side, okay? It isn't really working out that way anymore. It was when I was, when I was 25 years old, it was, it was working. Today, it's not working quite that way. So we don't want to lose democracy or capitalism. That was, that's what made the American dream what we are. No other country in the world has ever achieved that. Now, you have had some countries like Saudi Arabia and places like that where they have oil revenue and, it, and it's a false economy because yeah. they have the... And even them, they didn't know how to get it out of the ground. We showed them, you know, I mean, they, what good was it to them? The American oil companies dug their wells and processed them and bring it out of the ground for them. So, uh, you know, our, this American experiment is the highest achievement that mankind has ever achieved. It's a, in the history of the world. We don't want to lose that. That's capitalism and democracy. Yeah. So when you use the word capitalism, ooh, boy, you got a whole group of people, ooh, all they can think of are greedy capitalists. Well, some capitalists are greedy. Right now, they're in full control. You don't kill the system because you don't like how it's being administered. You know, so I, used to, I wrote a book years ago and I put an example in there of cows. You know, I was a farmer. I grew up as a little kid on a farm, and, and I milked cows. Okay, well, cows are some of the filthiest animals you ever saw in your life and some of the dumbest, you know. So cows are dirty, and they don't smell very good. Okay, do you want to kill the cow, or do you want, do you want to work with the cow and get the milk? See, mm -hmm. the same thing. So, and this is where, why people's lives are being driven by opinion, and they don't realize it. They don't realize it. Oh, I don't want... You know, there's a difference between socialism and social programs. There's a, no, they put them together. You know, there's a difference between capitalism and capitalism that's run amok. You know, whenever you have, uh, whenever you have drug, drug companies who charge the federal government full retail and probably more for Medicare, Medicare, Medicaid uh, drugs, I mean, that doesn't make much sense, does it? They're the largest drug yeah. buyer in the world and they pay retail price don't you think they because of vol every time we think of volume we think yeah you get a better price than think of volume well how does stuff like that come about people aren't thinking see? yeah see Bill Simon wrote a book a long time ago and it was called uh, if I can think of the name um, I can't think of the name right now but the the uh, uh, the part of the book that I remember the most, he said, thank God you don't get all the government you pay for, you wouldn't be able to do anything. <laughs> He's talking about bureaucracy. It was called A Time for Truth, and I remember that. It's called A Time for Truth. It was a great book many years ago. Well, Sam, I think that that's all the time we have for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Think to Win podcast, and we will be releasing more episodes soon so be sure to check back in and leave a, a review and a rating if you enjoyed it 
Uh, if you would like to learn more about what we might be able to do for you or your company, check out our website at PlatinumEdgeSalesTraining.com. And thanks again for listening. Have a great day. Goodbye.